Out of Tonzilla Files, welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. Tonzilla Expod, EscapingTheCave.com, also on Facebook. Fuck Twitter, you don't need that, I promise. Hey there, how are you? I'm your friendly and congenial co-host today, Todd. Tis my podcast, joined once again, though, by Brian today. This is going to be episode number 89 already. I can smell 100. It smells like pineapple. It's coming soon. This one's... <laughs> First thing I need to say about this coming episode. The episode you're about to hear, it starts off relatively slow. We address it right off the bat. Neither one of us felt particularly sharp. Energized. That didn't last through the entire show. Between 16 and 22 minutes in. <laughs> a little tension in there. A little friction. Just a little bit. Not adversarial, having a conversation, but it gets a little heated, mostly on my part. Surprise. But it does pick up. I I don't typically give these kinds of warnings, but with this one, there's a distinct difference between the first 20 minutes or so and the rest of the episode. Okay? Some of the things we talk about here are enthusiasm, checking out, apathy, just surrender. Something we were both kind of sort of feeling a little bit toward the beginning of this episode. That's the word. It's the only word. Exhaustion. Depletion. How maybe other people are feeling much the same thing. We also talk about uh, democracy's lifespan. (laughs) Is it possible to be rationally irrational? Interesting thought. Brian put that one forth. We talk about that also. uh, uh, Whether it's the system or the people. The informational crisis in which we're in. Who's to blame? Is 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 it the tech companies? Is it the system? Or is it us? Whose job is it to maintain our minds? Is it ours? Or do they, they, do they have a responsibility to help us maintain it? Eventually, I ask a very simple question. If we can't be trusted to maintain our own minds, are we a threat to ourselves and do we belong in chains like a vicious beast? We talk about uh, Walter Lippmann and Dan Carlin. He comes up quite a bit in the first part of this show. He put out a great podcast last week called Steering Toward the Iceberg, I think. Dan Carlin, go check that specific episode out. It ties into something I was talking about a few months ago, this anti-democratic feeling. Moving away from this notion that the people know what's best for the people. Do they? Well, it would appear other people are questioning that along with me and Mr. Lippmann. Well, where does it start? Where does the solution for this start? How do we get to the point where we can even begin to address this stuff? I talk about re-exiling the concept of the noble savage, sending the noble savage back there with the unicorns and leprechauns, getting rid of that entire idea. We're all noble. If we could just shake the chains of society, the noble beast, oh, he'll prosper, he'll flourish, he'll bloom like a little flower. Bullshit. In my opinion, talk about the bipolar traits of the species, not in individuals, in the entire species, how we're probably an invasive species and how that translates to our ideologies, our religions, our political religions, conquering the savages, taking what we want. Ideological religion comes up again later in the show. We talk about how to regain that intellectual autonomy. I talk about shame as well. How we use shame. How we love to shame each other. And how that's a boomerang. How that comes back and hits us in the back of the head. 
We have a very good discussion about when the means smother the ends. Another element of propaganda that I never got to last year, I will eventually. We also discuss police reform versus the defund the cops fanatics and how it works against what these activists are trying to accomplish. We wrap up the show talking about something that you have heard me talk about before, the abyss. And how when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. If you're doing it right. And ultimately, we wrap up talking about Joan Didion and her essay on morality. One more time, how the moral imperative, when the things we want, the things we think we need, or what we would like to see happen, when that becomes, in our minds, a moral imperative, what that does, and how that's affecting everything. Today, I will tag this show, tying that back into the propaganda material from last year. I already covered this. I didn't get to it with Brian But there's an episode. I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. This one has a little edge to it. Maybe more so than the other ones I've recorded with Brian. But it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. It's a really, really good conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, my energy level's a little low today, so don't, uh, it's just, I'm just super chill. No, <laughs> that's what I was asking you for. I was asking you how you felt, because I, I am the same exact way. Yeah, no logical reason for it. I'm just, you know, lower energy, kind of chilled out, you know. I feel exhausted. Uh, that might be a better explanation, yeah. I don't know if I'm exhausted or, there's another word for, exa- what's mentally exhausted? What is that? I call it drained. Depleted. Maybe I just don't know how much more of this shit I can listen to, you know, on the with the with the with the election and with the Supreme Court and with the um, the election meddling and all this kind of stuff. It's it's, you know, and you and I are kind of into this stuff, right? We kind of right. like it a little bit, right? Imagine what it's like for people who just don't are not as into it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just, just got to be the most off putting, terrible time for them. And and I imagine they're just completely tuning out. Yeah. Going back to that book, Propaganda, if you can imagine me doing that, uh, he talks about how where you have two equally opposing propaganda systems battling each other, Mm -hmm. that you either have to choose a side or you have to basically check out. And there's a word for it, and I can't remember it. I didn't, I wasn't planning on going this route, so I didn't research it. But it's. (laughs) That's okay. Somebody will find it for you. One of your listeners will. (laughs) I hope so. But it, it basically boils down to checking out. And you just completely withdraw from everything, and you it, it's basically like committing political suicide, or you don't care anymore. Yeah, and, and you need to care. And, you know, and, and that's, the, that's, I suppose, part of the problem is in order to have a functioning democracy or at least a representative republic like we have, you have to have an informed electorate. You have to have rational actors. And uh, without them, then you probably have, uh, I guess, the system that we're barreling toward at light speed, you know what they say, the, uh, you know, you're riding a crazy horse toward a burning stable and, that, and that's what it feels like, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. This psychotic, is psychotic. You're riding a psychotic horse toward a burning stable. I like that. Yeah. That's some beautiful I, I, imagery. I, it is. I actually got that from Robin Williams. God love him. Oh yeah. I had this weird thing yesterday. Yeah. I, I I'm feeling, I don't know if it's, if it's particularly agitated I listened to this podcast by Dan Carlin. I sent that along to you, the link to it last week. And inside of it, he's talking about um, 
What was it? I completely just lost my train of thought. It just left me. <laughs> this is going to take I a minute. I think we're both, we're both kind of the same mentally today, right? Yeah. It's the Supreme Court thing. It just It's just a little bit too much. Disappointment. That's what it was. He was talking about in that podcast how he had gone, and this ties into what you just mentioned, how he had gone from when he was a younger man being angry mm-hmm. that we weren't doing any better. And he realized, I think, at some point, and this is what he was saying in his podcast last week, once again, Dan Carlin, that he now feels resignation and disappointment. Yeah, and the, ang- the anger feeds energy. It gives you energy, yes. right? It gives you drive. And disappointment <laughs> is just, is just brain-sucking. It is. It's, it's, there's a word for it. You're right. I can't think of the word myself right now. But to that point, that's, that's the whole point of agitation propaganda is to outrage you, to inflame you, to you know, provoke that sense of self-righteousness in this battle against existential evil. And of course, you are on the, you know, the side of uh, God's justice. So that fuels that anger, which, of right. course, like you said, you know, triggers that energy and that fanaticism. That, that pushes you out. Sense. Yeah. We're kind of awash in that. And it's, it's typically, in his view anyway, was the, uh, the propaganda of agitation was the propaganda of an insurgency mm-hmm. where you're trying to either revolutionize or destabilize because you can turn you know, the population against itself. I think my fear is, for me, me personally, is resignation. Like, I just, I just give up. Yeah. You know, fuck it. Just let the country go the way it's going. Yeah. Hopefully it lasts another 30 years while I'm still alive and, you know, and fuck it. Who cares? You know, mm-hmm. I, and that's where I don't want to go. But I have a feeling that um, that's that's more common than we'd like it to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Carl- the, who, the who gives a shit attitude. Right. Yeah. I think that's kind of what Carlin was. Uh, he was kind of tinkering with that notion in his head that he had just he's disappointed. And he has realized that we are not the people that we hoped we would be. It's like, okay, we can't do any better than this. It's not that we won't, it's that we can't. That all the stuff with the Supreme Court, all the stuff with Trump, all the stuff with the Green Tea Party, that we're seeing these, these opposing fanatical factions going at each other is inevitable. Mm-hmm. That it was well, always going to happen. Well, this stuff has been spelled out by political philosophers for the last couple of hundred years, you know, ever since America became America, the United States became the United States in 1787. Um, you know, we, we, we started hearing lots, lots of writings and, and philosophers talking about how the system can't work, uh, how both opposite, right? Both, both of the uh, extremes of the spectrum really can't work. Karl Marx was writing about this in what, the 1850s, you know, about how what would eventually happen to a, a democracy, which is us. And what would eventually happen to a, a pure communist country, which was where he was, and how they just can't work. Yeah. And we have to find the middle. And I think the middle is sort of that uh, democratic socialist uh, <laughs> stuff that, uh, that, that uh, Bernie is, is uh, you know, he's all about. I don't know. But, but there's got to be a happy middle in there somewhere where if we're not already, we're, we're a borderline oligarchy where it's just the corporations that are running the country. What is that called? A cor- corporatocracy or something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the extreme, which is the, you know, everybody is just a ward of the state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so somewhere in the middle of that, I think, is the, is the, uh, is the democratic socialist, which is probably where, where, you know, personally is probably where I lean a little bit. I tend to be a little conservative when it comes to matters of defense and stuff like that. But when it comes to uh, social issues and things, I'm a pretty liberal kind of guy. Um, and I just feel like the great God of capitalism is a huge reason we're right where we are. Yeah. 
I can't really jump on board with that. And I, and I, I, I it, it's funny. I just had an exchange with Chris about this last night. Mm-hmm. He called me for my uh, 50th birthday last week. Oh. Yeah, we, we sat there and we wound up talking politics for two hours, nice. <laughs> which nice. is kind of strange. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, the listeners know where I'm at. Chris is way further left than me. He still believes in, you know, he's a, he's a big believer in community. He wants community. So th- therefore, he's sort of inclined toward far left thinking. You know, the root of communism is community, right? Communitarianism, right. community. I'm not saying he's a communist or a communitarian, but he, he, his tendencies are in that direction. Well, George Bush was a communitarian. <sighs> wow. He was, well, he, was, he, was, he even spoke about it, yeah. yeah. George, uh, George W. Yeah. That, that's, that's the whole philosophy of leave government out of it, and if you no. need help, reach out to your community. Yeah, right? kind of. Yeah, kind of. I, we, again, we could have a complete discussion on this because uh, communitarianism to the common to, to way folk is a word they have no concept of. It just mm-hmm. isn't out there. You hear it used every now and then, but I don't think most people. And I question whether I understand what it is. I know Amitai, it's Etzioni or Isatoni or whatever his name is. He, he's sort of the icon and the avatar of communitarianism in this country. Uh, I'm familiar with his stuff a little bit. But I don't really know that I completely understand what it is. Well, I think my, my rudimentary understanding of it, and I'm sure it's deeper than this, but my understanding of it is it's basically um, for, for those, you know, for folks who are less fortunate, who need uh, assistance, it shouldn't be the government providing that. It should be the community coming together to provide that. Um, and I think that was to the extent that George Bush was a communitarian. It was written about it. I forget where I read it, but uh, yeah, that sounds... I, think he, I think he even talked about it. That almost sounds um, middle... <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Medieval. It's like you, 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 there's no, there are no social nets. So if poor people are going to be helped, they're going to be helped by with these faith-based initiatives. Remember those words? Well, that was that's what the that's what we were before uh, Roosevelt, right? Before the New Deal. That's yeah. exactly what we were. Sure, and we had people starving in the streets. <laughs> we did. We had yeah. soup lines. We had people starving in the streets, yeah. and uh, that's why that's why I'm not a communitarian. I probably side more with where Chris is. I believe yeah. that you know community can solve a lot of problems, but it also takes power. As far as where I'm sitting, community doesn't have a lot of power right now because we, we know, not to get too far off the subject, but we know that the average Joe on the street has virtually no voice in Congress whatsoever, right? Even with your vote, you really have no voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make all the phone calls you want to your congressman or your senator and nothing will get done. I promise you. <laughs> I'm bought and paid for. <laughs> Money talks, you know. Again, I, I guess we'll go back to Carlin for a second because he he did talk about that last week as well, where he he tended to be traditionally throughout his life, and he has this self-image of himself as a we-the-people kind of guy. The people know what's best for the people. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they should have a say in absolutely everything. And he was talking about how he has changed. That perspective has slowly shifted as he's watched everything that's happened in this country over the last three or four years, how people have no concept of anything. They can't even decipher the information they're, they're getting. They have no way of curating it. They have no way of sorting it. They just sort of react, act like a mob. And right. that was the one thing that we, we were talking about the founders. That was the one thing that almost all of them feared was mob rule. 
there's a distinction, I guess, between direct democracy and uh, a mobocracy, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And uh, Carlin was thinking, well, yeah, if we can have an enlightened citizenry and we can have a thoughtful citizenry that can think and, and ponder these issues and think reasonably about them and then make choices that are, you know, I guess rational come election time, that's fine. But that's gone. It's not happening now. So what do you do? You were talking about the deranged horse. What happens when you have a deranged steward on the ship? Yeah. Well, you know, you just have to trust that the, that the, the, the people who are participating for the most part are at least, at least rational. Whether you agree with them or not, mm-hmm. they're coming to some rational decision. The problem is, going back to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, is the information that they're getting that gets to that conclusion that they come to. And when that information is wrong, whether they're rational or not, or no, whether they are rational, if, you, if the information you're getting is incorrect and that's all you're getting fed, that doesn't mean that you're not rational. If you're making decisions based on flawed information, then your decisions are going to be flawed. And that's the problem. And that's on both sides. I'm not saying that, that Republicans and Democrats, are, one is doing more of that than the other. Uh, I'm just saying that we need to do a better job as a rational or as rational actors, as citizens, of uh, vetting the information that we get. And I think there, there is, that's the problem. We've just become lazy about information. Journalism has become lazy. Consumers of journalism have become lazy. And we just sit and we absorb all of this information. And, and now that we have a natural inclination to go to the tribe that agree that, that we more believe in, then that information becomes more isolated and more uh, boxed in. And then we become these individual tribes all around, the, you know, all over the country. We're no longer one nation. Mm-hmm. It, we're not e pluribus unum anymore. You know what I mean? We're, no, we're, just, we're, we're just not. Um, and that's, bec- that's mainly because I think this, this disconnected, frayed information that's, that's coming in, whether, whether you're not even getting into the whole Russia, China, Iran, you know, influence on the election stuff. I'm just talking about our responsibility as American citizens. We've relinquished that. And that's our fault. Yeah. I keep thinking of this quote that I've used a thousand times on the show that the, you know, society that can't distinguish truth from falsehood doesn't remain free. At some point, you're going to fall under some sort of, you know, totalitarian demagogue's spell. At and some somebody point. who's, and there's always somebody laying in wait for that. Sure. Right. I think we have it really, you know, or at least, well. at least some of it. And, and when that happens, then they pounce. It's almost a natural order of things, isn't it? A lot of people for a couple thousand years have thought so. The possibility that democracy has a shelf life. I've got this flow chart from this uh, book, um, Anti-intellectualism and the decline of democracy was written by a guy named Wood back in the 1990s. And there's a flow chart in there that actually shows how he thinks or thought that you go from a free liberal society right back to totalitarianism. And one of the things that uh, is at six o'clock on this sort of 12, you know, this 12 hour flow chart is trivializing information and the loss of the ability to think rationally with rational information and how it leads into escapist content and how that leads directly back into uh, totalitarianism. So we're, people have been talking about this for a long time, then. We're not really breaking any news. Oh, here. no. It's <laughs> like, you know, maybe yeah. we're just coming to the conclusion through our own logical process yeah. and through discussion. But it, it makes perfect sense to me. Does he, yeah. have a, does he have an estimation on what that shelf life is? Would? No, no. Uh, in fact, nobody there does. is there, there is a natural course of it, and it could take a yeah. hundred years, it could take a thousand years, but it, at right. some point, you go right back into the into chains. Yeah, 
Well, it's not going to take much more, I don't think. But no, and far from that. I'm not sure it's going to happen in your yours in my lifetime. But <laughs> I, I think I think possibly people that are the next generation, or possibly if we had grandkids, maybe that age group, um, I think they're going to have a much harder time than, than we're having. I think you're overly optimistic. <laughs> that's me. That's yeah, who yeah, I am. That's I'm, fine. I'm an optimistic guy. Thank God. I don't think this <laughs> show could handle another Todd at this point. <laughs> it, I, you know, I still, I still, even though, and, and what I'm trying, I mean, I've heard my sort of veiled um, confidence in humans when I was talking a minute ago about, you know, I, I, I don't really fault individuals for the way things are. I know it's easy. I know we, we you know, we a couple of weeks ago, you and I were talking about how, ugly people's faces get when they're angry and talking about this stuff. And, and we've seen the images of it. I don't necessarily fault those people individually. I'm, I'm faulting the entire system of policy and management and government because I think that each of us believes what we believe and we, and we believe it to be true based on our beliefs, that, a belief system that maybe we've come from, uh, from childhood, whether that's through religion or through just, uh, you know, strong family values, whatever. And then we get into these tribes and then the information becomes isolated and, and catered and um, curated. The information becomes curated just for you. And as a rational person, you almost have no choice but to begin to kind of believe whatever it is that's coming at you, right or wrong. So I tend to believe that the individual's in the system are, 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 are responsible, but yet also victims of this whole system. When, when Trump was elected, I wasn't angry at him. He's, you know, if you're 35 and you can pull it off, you should run for president if you want to, you know, that's the, that's the way the rules are written. But, and you're, you know, an American citizen. Um, my anger was at the American people, the people who voted for him. I was like, man. And then that anger turned into almost, um, God, what's the word? Sympathy? Empathy? For the people who were so completely misinformed and uninformed and that they have no choice but to come to the conclusion of the person who's going to feed them the information that they want to hear, right? And, and, and we've been through this many times in history. Mussolini, Hitler, all these things, you know, they've all come, come across. I don't mean to invoke Hitler every time, you know, every time Trump has, does something, but I'm just saying this type of leadership there's, there's a history of that, right? And we just keep inviting it upon ourselves. What we need to do is, honestly, it, I, I thought about, we talked about this last week. What do we do? What do we do about all this? I really think it's, a, it's policy decisions. And it has to do with, you know, possibly voting the right people in, making policy, doing things, active, you know, some activism, exercising your voice. Um, but policies have to be put in place to uh, first wrangle in, you know, all of these information distribution systems. When we're all looking at information that's different and, like I said, curated individually to your interests, um, unfortunately, if your interests are idiotic, then you're getting all this idiotic information, right? I, I just keep talking around in circles on this, but the, the, the bottom line is just because you're getting bullshit information and coming up with a bullshit decision does not mean you're irrational. At, at, right. what, at what point? When you when you talk about repeating history, and you talk about Mussolini, Hitler, and you know mm. the, how we're, we're repeating the cycle, at mm. what point do you continue making the same mistake and not assign accountability to the people? I understand what you're saying about not being technically irrational if the information you're getting is leading you to a specific place. 
Yeah. I understand that completely. But at what point it is, is it the human being's responsibility to be cognizant enough of historical precedent to understand where that takes a society and then become responsible and accountable for the maintenance of your own mind? Well, the, you know, the maintenance of your own mind is your responsibility, but then, but then, um, what leads you to do that really? At what point in your socialization and your education, do you relinquish that? Do you relinquish that responsibility to someone else to make decisions for you and to turn you away from doing your own fact checking and getting your own mind in order? And, and I have an answer for that. I have an answer for that. I think it's the education. No, it's data overload. It's being, it's being pelted by too much information where you get to the point where you cannot possibly. Nobody has the cognitive horsepower to sit here and sort through every piece of information and data that comes through their devices on a, day, on a, on a, on a, a bisecond basis. Yeah, Nobody we're not, we're not evolved that. for that. You're no. right. We're not, we're not evolved for that at all. But I do lay it at the feet of some of the education systems that have uh, uh, sort of relinquished their responsibility to educate kids uh, to the idea that they're just babysitting kids. I know there are systems out there that are like that. I also know that there are systems out there that still educate kids to where they do use their own minds and they do become um, critical thinkers. That's what we're missing when we talk about rationality and things, but really what we're missing is critical thinking. Right. That's, that is gone. How, all but gone. how does even a critical thinker, and I like to fancy myself as one, that's the self-image I have of this beautiful creation called Todd, that I am a critical thinker. I can't, even I can't, <laughs> and I have all day to do it. I cannot sort through all of this shit. No, you can't. To come, and you're probably one of the most critical thinkers I've ever talked to. It's one of the reasons that you and I have always liked each other, but I, we're not evolved to process that much information. Well, that's... So then we make choices, right? So then we make choices. And those choices become, which is the most comfortable information for me to look at? Which which information is the information that's going to make me feel less like shit, (laughs) right? And and so then, then based on your own beliefs and all that system, then you gravitate toward information, I think, that you te- that tends to make you feel better about the way you already think. This is the and Glaucone thing that I found in uh, Plato. Even if it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. People are not designed. We're, we're not evolved. We were not constructed to be truth seekers. Mm-hmm. You know, we were constructed to <laughs> chase status more than social status more than we were to find the truth of the matter some and, people are some are and those are the people that usually rise to the rise to the top and are usually the ones that sort of stand out as truth seekers people who um uh you know uh, rattle the system a little bit those folks you know they may be cut from a different cloth but overall as a species we're followers just tell us what you want us to do and we'll do it <laughs> yeah you know seriously I, yeah. that's, that, that's that, i think that's the truth yeah, I think it's a conscious. We will follow the path of least resistance almost every time. You're right. I think we're we're. Um, I lost it. <laughs> God, I sorry. Can't. Yeah, it's all right. I can't. Ugh. I don't know. I, I have a hard. No, no, no. I agree. I agree with you, and that I just don't think that. Um, I just don't think that we're 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 wired for. Uh, for that kind of responsibility and the amount of information we have to process. Then we belong. We belong in a cage. Yeah. As simple as that to protect us from our from our own faulty. Manufacturing, I guess. We need protection from ourselves. 
Hey, that's what Carlin was talking about last week with this, uh, this stuff about him going from the we, the people, to sort of an, a very uncomfortable for him, a very uncomfortable shift towards anti-democratic thinking. I found this in Walter Lippmann. I found it in H.L. Mencken, two of the authors that I've been reading from the 1920s, early in the 20th century. When we were having the same fucking debate and conversation about socialism and capitalism, the rhetoric was the same 100 fucking years ago. It's yeah. not changed. Right. All they've done is taken a different chasm within the society and exploited it via agitation to try to proselytize the new religion. That's all that's happened in a hundred goddamn years. Yeah, nothing's changed. Nothing. Other than, other than I think maybe the people who are who are putting out you know the propaganda and creating uh, what's the word I'm looking for creating um, discon- uh, discontent agitation the, agitation. They're just getting better at it. Agitprop. Well, I don't even know that they're better at it. They just have more delivery mechanisms. They have well, better technology. Yeah. No, it, not just that, too. Faster. I mean, that's huge. Having yeah. this phone in, in everybody's pocket where you can ping someone on the other side of the earth at will instantaneously. This is yeah. Goebbels' wet dream. This is Stalin's <laughs> wet dream. Fuck yeah. Can you imagine? Can you yes. imagine if they had had this, these tools? I've talked about that uh, multiple times on the show. If, if Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, we have people who, who have about as many scruples as Joseph Goebbels right now using this technology. We're seeing, I think we're seeing the results of that. Yeah. But what I was saying about Lippmann and what I was saying about Carlin, and what I felt in myself earlier this year, I have a whole, <laughs> there's a whole series back, I think maybe February and March right around the time coronavirus hit, where I was feeling this this shift in myself against this democratic ideal, definitely against direct democracy, where we leave it to the people. Like I, I've been talking for two years about how mobs are stupid. When the individual cell, you can, you can be a reasonable, rational human being, but when you join a group, when you join a herd and become a cell within a larger organism, you relinquish the autonomy of mind and become a part of a lesser Less intelligent superorganism. Mobs are stupid. Yeah. They are. And when you join that, you lose something. But somehow we're supposed to believe that the collective people, the people, we the people, as this gigantic organism, somehow are uh, miraculously and immaculately inseminated with some universal wisdom. <laughs> When they yeah. join together, it doesn't make any sense. It's to so me. easy to manipulate. So easy. It makes no it's, sense it's, to me. And I, I, right. I, I hate thinking like this, man. I understood. I, I completely empathized with what he was talking about because it made him incredibly uncomfortable. He's had to look in the mirror and say, I'm a We the People guy. I'm a Jeffersonian, not an Adams guy. Right? Yeah. I have to rethink this now based on the information and the data that I've seen over the last three years. I completely understand this. I completely well, empathize with it. Yeah. What's the uh, What's the solution? <laughs> what if there isn't one? Yeah, I don't know that there is. You know, I mean, I don't. Our, our human nature is is human nature. It hasn't changed in well ever. Right. Um, we haven't really evolved much in the last hundred thousand years or so. Yeah. Uh, so every every state, you know, every government that we've known in history has at some point um, imploded on itself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, usually there's some sort of a minor part of it that still exists and it's still there. And, you know, look at Rome. You know, right. It still exists, at least still there. Not to the extent that it was England. Remember, the English Empire was mm-hmm. basically half the fucking planet at one time. <laughs> now yeah. it's 
now it's England and Scotland and Wales. Right. Um, yeah, you know, it just got smaller, and uh, and and maybe that's maybe that's what we're in for. Yeah. At some some point in the next generation or two, is that, you know, we may end up constricting. Does that mean that the size of the mainland, you know, the mainland U.S. changes? Maybe not. What it might mean is that we pull ourselves out of these countries where we have no business being. Right. Uh, oh, it's one of those days, Todd. I get it. Uh, I figured know, out what my problem is. I, I have no, I have resigned myself to being disappointed and docile. <laughs> I needed a little anger. You need to be mad. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Maybe, I, maybe, I am maybe, pissed maybe, off. Maybe everybody does. Maybe I am more of us need to be. I am pissed off because I think there is a solution. When I say here, what, what if there isn't one? Practically speaking, I don't think there probably is. Nothing is realistic, but the solution is fucking obvious to me. That, that if we are going to survive and have any hope of guiding our ship of destiny forward, for any period of time after this election, the one thing that has to happen is an evolutionary leap where instead of another thumb, we develop some keen insight into ourselves, humble, a humility that takes us toward a discovery of our own nature and embracing it, accepting it and working with it. That's a tall order. Yeah, you think? Yeah, that's a tall order because you're asking people to look inward at themselves and, yeah. and acknowledge the ugly yeah. as well as as well as the beautiful parts of ourselves too. But most of us don't want to look at the ugly side. Well, the then we side. then we deserve what we get. You're right. You well, not only did you deserve it, but you brought it on. That's part of <laughs> right. that's part that's part of not understanding yourself is you're subconsciously bringing on yeah. uh, your your own um, extinction. Yeah, if you can't see your addiction, I mean, I, I love to use the addiction analogy because that's that's what it reminds me of coming from that background a little bit years and years and years ago. Heard all of this rhetoric, and you have to be able to look within yourself. It's part of the twelve step program. You take a personal inventory of yourself, right, and then you start to make amends and all this stuff. If you can't do that, if you can't cannot possibly bring yourself to do that. Even at the point of rock bottom, the addiction will kill you. The universe doesn't care. There's no God out there who's going to come and save you and cure you of your addiction. You just die. Yep. And that's, that's where I see us now. That we are so addicted to this narcissistic perspective and this asinine, asinine, Brian, I'm telling you, it's, it's asinine, this divine conception of the snowflake human being that we're all good, that we're all destined for greatness, that there is no, that we're, if you just take the chains of society away, the noble savage will come back and flourish. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. We're not, we're not generally um, gentle snowflakes. We're actually pretty awful to each other yeah. and everything else, right? Sorry, I don't mean to yell at you. I can. I have a volume adjust. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, for me, it's just sort of where I've always you're, you're, you're saying what I've always believed just in a much more passionate way. And that is that as a species, we are just, we're a pox on the planet and on everything else because we probably because of our big brains and because we have these thumbs too. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, we've just decided that we're just going to roll over the planet and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to deplete it of every fucking resource that we can yeah. until there's nothing left. Did I, I said, did I put kill all of the species other yeah. than ours and there's going to be nothing left. Yeah, we are a virus with shoes, as Bill Hicks put it. And <laughs> I think I... Uh, That's beautiful. Oh, it's a great bit. <laughs> I'm tired of this humanity is great bullshit. We're a humanity virus with great. shoes. Humanity is shit. Well, it... it it's it's conflicted. And I've talked before on this on this on the show about the God Devil parable. Mm -hmm. You know, where 
religion has sort of externalized both of these schizophrenic portions of our psyche where we're capable of good. There's this girl in, in Minnesota or Wisconsin a, a couple of months ago, maybe a month back, who died saving eight children yeah. from drowning. This is the same species that built Dachau. This yeah. is the same species that annihilated Mylai or Mylai, however you say it in Vietnam. Yeah, however, thank you. I think that's probably right. But either way, it (laughs) comes from the same species. Tell me another species outside of perhaps a pit bull that is this schizophrenic. Well, it's it's not schizophrenia. It's 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 values. It's it's values and morals and how they come together. The same, you know, the same you know, where you've got the same species who, like you said, you see these acts of kindness all the time, which is wonderful, and it gives you this momentary hope yeah. in humanity. And most people aren't doing that. Most people aren't creating Dachau. Most of us are just trying to get through our day right. without hurting someone else or each other. But while we're doing that, we're depleting the planet of all of its natural resources and every any useful item that's out there. Well, you're, you're changing. You're, 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 not, you're not arguing that honestly, because if you're going to change from the, the general specifics of, you know, most people are not, you know, building Dachau. Most people no. through the course of their day are not going out and strip mining. Right. No, but we're but we're using the products, right? We're we're using we're both using one right now as we do this podcast, right? Sure. So the stuff that, the stuff that goes into making a phone and the computers and the microphones, all that stuff is strip mined, right? Right. So, but how, why so are you attributing paying, that to the individual? Because we're paying someone on our behalf to do the strip mining. Are we thinking about that when we pay them? I don't know if we are. Uh, maybe we should be, and maybe maybe that would be a reason for us to buy less of the shit that we don't need. So, you know, all of that is, you know, good things and bad things. You have to look at the, the, the good and the bad. Yes, we're a virus on the planet. Yeah. But at the same time, to perpetuate our own existence, we kind of have to. Yeah. Right? We yeah. have to be. Yeah. That's what viruses do, though. Right? <laughs> well, that's, that's true. What, that's, yeah, that's what um, parasites do. Yeah. I think I passed along. No, it was Chris who read it. Uh, uh, Noel or Noah. I, I can never pronounce his first name. His last name's Harari. He wrote this uh, a book called Sapiens. It basically lays out really quick, like really concisely, really fast, the entire history of humanity, like money and all this other stuff. And that's one of the things that he talked about was that when we left the African continent, we started spreading out all over the world. And wherever we went, mass extinctions happened. Mm-hmm. Like, like we got somehow we got to Australia and there were these gigantic beasts roaming this isolated island that had never been, you know, threatened and never had any sort of interaction with anything off of Australia. And as soon as we showed up, they're gone. They just die off. We kill their environment and they go away and we remain. So we're, yeah, we're an invasive species. I wonder, though, if that invasive species mentality eventually becomes reflected back on us. So, so going back to the beginning of our discussion, you know, we have this us versus them mentality. What if, what if, what if the us suddenly looks at other humans who are the them, and we take the same action that we do on every other species? I've already talked planet. about that. Yeah, right I've already here? talked about it. Yeah, uh, right. not, not to you. You must be destroyed. Yes, right? yes, 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 yes. And I, and I will turn this right around on this this far left socialist movement in this country. Because that's exactly what socialism has tried to, it never could gain a foothold here. It's gained its foothold in places like Nicaragua, El Salvador, I think, uh, definitely in Cuba, where external forces come in 
and this ideological species tries to take over. Socialism in this country, and this isn't this I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, sort of a Trump guy here and I'm not trying to, you know, be a, a, a raging, raving anti-socialist. But objectively speaking, socialism in this country is an invasive species. It was not born here. It was not hatched here. The foundational myth, the cohesive narrative of the United States is anti-socialist. It's individualist based. And it's coming from somewhere else. It's been trying to get ashore. It's been trying to colonize itself onto this continent for a hundred years. Well, we had to, you know, we had to bring in some uh, socialist ideas when, you know, we've got tired of seeing right. our family members starving on the street. I get all that. I understand you know all I mean? that. So I get that. To bring all that Not stuff in. Arguing and one then, way or another on that point. I'm trying to keep yeah. what I'm what I'm what I'm talking about is what you were saying about are we an invasive species when it comes to ourselves? And when we see people who are in our way and who should be doing something a certain way, we saw this. I mean, you go back and read the history of the Native Americans. We come ashore. Here we are. Oh, look at these savages. They need to change their ways or we're going to take their shit. Right? Yeah. We invaded. Well, that's what we do. Yeah, we did it in Mexico. The the, the history of our species isn't a good one. Yeah. Um, And we're not we're not going to solve that. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a nihilistic discussion either. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of accepting our nature for what it is. Right. And working um, with it, right? And working with it and not working against it and also accepting it and just, just deciding that, okay, well, this is, this, this is really what a human being is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we control that? How do we work with it? How do we accept it? You know, yeah. uh, let's, let's, let's stop the bullshit talk about how wonderful human beings are. And can we change it? I mean, is it possible once you acknowledge it? You can't change it if you don't acknowledge it. If you don't know it's there, if you don't admit or recognize even that it's there, you definitely can't change it. But once you do, and once you look inward as a collective and start to identify who and what you actually are, then can it be changed? This is something that can be altered. God, you're talking about a level of critical thinking that I don't think most people... I don't care. Fuck them. This is... I'm sorry. I hate to say that. you're proving my point. What, What do you mean? Well, you're 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 getting upset and proving my point. <laughs> Fuck them. Who cares about them? They're them. This is us. Fuck them. Right? Well, then so, there is I mean, no you're solution. Just, you're just proving my point. Right. That's my that's my question. There is no solution. We just have to yeah. accept who we are. Yeah, you're on. right. You're right about that. I I do I had a conversation he said he, he actually commented in the group. You're not in there anymore, so you didn't see it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. No. That you, it's that my this, third week without Facebook. I'm yeah. loving it. Oh, God. Let's talk about that to cleanse the palate when we're done. Um, I know he mentioned that he, he liked the episodes with you and I because I come across as less angry mm. when uh, you and I are discussing it. I, I, I countered back to him that I had put a lot of thought on this because I listen to these shows and I listen with a pretty relatively critical ear. Uh, and... There's something that happens when I get upset and I start using the word you. And usually when I'm angry, I start talking to this sort of uh, composite character comprised of three or four different extremes. Two on the left, two on the right. But they're the same person. (laughs) Right, right. But don't you think that's what totalitarians do? They sort of sum up an entire race or population. Yeah, people do people that. With one group of characteristics. And it's a stereotype. It's just, it's, it's Everybody nature, does this. Right? Everybody do, stereotypes. Right? But, but, but sometimes it gets dangerous. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, you want to talk human nature. That's how, yeah. that's how we see the world. We can't engage in seven, uh, how many 330 million cases of uh, you know, individual American nuance. Well, no, you're right. 
So we have to, we do. And it's just, it's part of our nature to do that. We do generalize. We do stereotype. I mean, I, I had this conversation with Chris last night. He sent me this email and he was talking about how whites are these nasty oppressors. That's a generalization. That's a stereotype coming from the side of the political spectrum that hates stereotypes and generalizations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. So yeah, I am sort of creating this composite character and it comes from the radio training you remember where they used to tell you that you want to be who's your listener right right right. and i still do that but that's who i'm talking to and i shouldn't be because i shouldn't Uh, be saying fuck them to people who are listening to this show they're not the enemy they're not the problem hopefully right i'm not sure you should be saying fuck them to anybody yeah right you know because it's uh, i it, again, it's it's the it's the tribalism that I'm getting at, and I, I think I think that we've got to get away from that that tribal talk. Yeah, well, who who's the we then? Yeah, well, we is the everybody. You know, no, who's the we? If, if 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 I shouldn't be saying fuck them, you're saying that this is tribalism, and I'm concerned about this. There's a reason I'm asking this question because there's about 15 I think, different I think, directions. I'm, talk, here. I'm talking about the yeah, I know. I'm talking about the entire you know human planet. I'm talking about everybody. No, that's we not what I said. Everybody, we need to get away from the tribalism. Right. But you said I shouldn't be saying fuck them to anybody. Well, I, you know, in that because context, to, because to me, that just feels feels like you're putting a wall up and, you know, and, and you're not willing to have any sort of discussion. And that, that, that's when conversation stops, when people start saying fuck them. It's not happening anyway. That, that, that's when intelligent conversation stops. But it's not having the, the conversation isn't happening anyway. But the, I think part of the theme of your of your podcast is is this communication and how do we how do we come to some sort of rational fix and and I think that they, saying fuck them is not a, it's not it's not I don't think it's true to yourself I don't think it's true to you as who you are when you really? say stuff like that no I think the definition of what this podcast is is the whole conversation about um, you know, the us versus them mentality and how wrong it is and how we have these kind of people and those kind of people and we shouldn't have that. But when you're saying fuck them, you're just sort of feeding that. So if I'm against the, the tribalism, if I'm against the herd think, the group think, the flock yeah. think, right, yeah. I shouldn't say fuck people who are agree, uh, uh, engaging and addicted to herd think, group think, and flock think and cannot possibly bring themselves to see it. It, it sounds like an oxymoron to me, right? It just, uh, you know, I could be convinced otherwise. I mean, I, I may be wrong here. You may be right. It, <laughs> it may not, definitely it, be but, an but oxymoron. But, but it sounds like, you know, we're saying one thing through one side of our mouth and then we're saying another thing out of the other side of our mouth. And because we don't really know how to say what we're trying to say because we don't have the language for it. Let me try to elaborate on it because I do know exactly what I'm trying to say. That I do not wish to engage, I've said this before on this show, I do not wish to engage retained attorneys anymore. I do not wish to have imaginary conversations with congregationalists, with ministers preaching from the pulpit, be it from the left or from the right. I really do not wish to engage in any more of this post hoc rationalization and uh, what's it called? Social momentum maintenance. Right. Put forth and presented as <laughs> reason. Hmm. I, I'm, I, I do not care to engage that anymore. And for me, it's just simply easier to say, fuck them. I don't yeah. want to deal. If you want to leave that, if you want to you want to look in the mirror and you want to actually understand what I'm talking about and see it within yourself as I try to see it within myself, 
then we can have a conversation. But until you get to that point, you're the, you are part of the problem. How can I how can we solve that problem? How can how can we walk the path to recovery when you're still using? Yes. This is a paradox. Yeah, it really is a paradox because you know, it, it what am I trying to say? It's like we're sowing. We're, it's like we're sowing division by trying to uh, get rid of division. <laughs> uh, you know, we're being divisive yeah. while saying "don't be tribal." Um, so, so there's got to be a better way to have this conversation. And I understand how how mind-numbingly uh, or mind-bogglingly difficult it is. It's yeah. these aren't easy conversations no. to have, and that's why nobody's having them except you and I, and right. maybe Chris and a few other right. friends. It's, they're not easy conversations to have because, you know, most of us aren't armed to get uh, as deep as we need to get. To How do we arm ourselves? Let, let, maybe this is, okay, maybe we should start at the beginning. If we're, we're going to talk about solutions or perspective solutions, sausage party hope. How do we arm ourselves that way? Because it has to, I, I believe, and this is, this is a nugget of optimism that I have about human beings. I think that this God-devil parable, this schizophrenia, I'm going to hold on to that word. I, I know you think it's something different. I think it is. I think it's, it's almost a bipolarism built within the species. I, I think that a conscious choice can be made to abandon the evolutionary tribalistic mindset that we have. And I think it's hard. I think it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of insight. But I think it's a conscious choice. I don't think it comes from education. I think it comes from accepting that this is something you have to do, that this is inside of you, and you have got to both first examine it and then try to alter it. How do you do that? I think I agree with you. I think where the problem lies is... is I think we all have a different definition of what that utopia is. And until we come to some sort of um, collective agreement on what the objective is, then we're all just going to be doing our own thing. We're going to have 330, just as far as U.S. is concerned, 330 million ideas of what utopia is. What are you, wait, wait, right? wait. Because no, what, no, no. what you're talking about is, you know, getting rid of tribalism. And at some point we all come to sort of this agreement on, you know. Um, no, that's not what I'm talking about function. at all. That's not what I'm talking about at all. No, what, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is trying to get to the point where we can self-examine. That's a step before getting rid of tribalism. That's maybe five steps before even well, beginning to address that. How can we see it within not, ourselves? We're not going to self-examine as long as as long as we have religion, right? Because as long as, as long as we have that out, as long as we have that that scapegoat, you're talking authentic religion like uh, Catholicism and all that. All of it, all of it. As long as we have have this these beliefs in the magic deity. Uh, and that's the person that's controlling everything, and we don't have to take responsibility for anything because God works in mysterious ways. Um, then, so does AOC. Uh, yeah. I, there, I, I, I'll make the I'll make the counter argument that I think that there are a lot of atheists who preach at the pulpit of AOC or preach at the pulpit of Trump. I honestly don't have any fucking idea what you're talking about. Uh, what I'm talking about is that you're talking about institutional religion. Okay, that we can't examine anything because we're crutching upon God. Okay. Well, I think yeah. Anytime you have an institution, let me finish. Like that, I think it's a let me finish. God or not. Let me finish. What I'm saying is that there are a lot of people who maybe don't go to church who have substituted that with an ideology and having the same effect that you're talking about, where they don't think because they have the doctrine of the ideology rather than the Bible. 
Mm, okay. Yeah, I agree. I think once an, once an ideology gets, well, once something becomes an ideology, it's a problem. And religion is an ideology. So all mm -hmm. types of ideologies. So let's not single out religion. I'll agree with you on that. Okay. Where were we? <laughs> oh, this one's... Uh, I should have had a beer today. Let's talk about your detox, Brian. Uh, it's been good. I have, yeah. have actually no um, no need for Facebook anymore. The only reason I keep it now is so that you can call me on Messenger to do the <laughs> podcast. How long has it been? Three weeks? Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I've forgotten about it entirely. It's way easier than quitting smoking. I'm on the verge of, I think Twitter's going to go away. Despite the need uh, to promote my podcast. Well, I think I Twitter's going to go away generally for everybody at some point. It's been, in, it's been on the edge of bankruptcy for the last couple of years. The only thing keeping it afloat right now is the president. Twitter? Yeah. It's doing pretty well, isn't it? No. Financially? No. I've heard recently that it's facing some financial problems. Maybe they've come out of it. Maybe somebody bought them and I didn't hear about it. But as far as I understood, they were, they were pretty much on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. If you see anything down the line of like news on that, I'd love to see it. I need, I need some good news in my life. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Well, it's just, yeah, it just doesn't serve any purpose. Right? Yeah. It doesn't really have a value. What value does Twitter bring to your life? Value, like positive value? It doesn't. It to mine, none. I don't know if there's such a thing as negative value, but. Sure. Agitation. Um, yeah. Is that value? To some people, sure. I suppose it is. Well, to them, it'd be positive then. It's, if you're agitated and they want you to be agitated, then it's their, it's true. Then it's their value, <laughs> right? Touche. I, I want to go back to this one thing before we wrap things up because we are, I think, approaching an hour here. But talk to me about the initial step. Like, what does it take? What can an individual do? What can a collection of individuals do to start down the path of self-awareness, of their own sort of cognitive processes? People that have never thought about this, why should they think about it? And if they do, what is a step that they can take, in your opinion? Well, it's a bunch of steps, I guess. I, in my opinion, one of them is to get control of your own thought process. Get control of your own decision-making. Become a critical thinker. Search for other sources of information other than the ones that you've been relying on, which may or may not be working. Uh, anytime you become dogmatic about your beliefs, it's time to look at other people's beliefs. If you're in the, the wheelhouse of the liberals, maybe it's time to spend a couple hours watching Fox News and vice versa. The other thing that I think you can do is to completely unplug from social media. I don't mean go on a fast. I don't mean, um, well, I only keep social media so I can talk to my grandma. I think it's time that you just get rid of it. Pick up the phone and talk to your grandma um, and, and unplug from all that kind of stuff because it's insidious. And I think uh, it's a bacteria, it's a viral infection on our, on our minds. And so we've just got to get rid of it. I feel a lot better uh, emotionally since, since dumping social media entirely. I just, I, I feel like I'm in more control over my own thought process. I've also unplugged from cable news. Get away from that. Get your news from other sources, from reputable sources. I, I, I think that's, and, and that is where minds, I think, begin to change. When you, and, then, and then start expecting proper journalism for me. I go back to journalism because I'm an old school journalist from a thousand years ago. Respect good journalism for what it is and look for the really good sources, um, sources that, that, that you can trust as being authentic. 
I think, and this is just a, I guess maybe just a hunch, but some of the people that are really dogmatic about a lot of these sort of fringe beliefs that really are not true and make almost no sense, I think there's something inside of them that says, you know, I think this is bullshit, and I'm not sure that I can that I believe this, but I don't know why I do believe it. And I think the reason that they believe it is because once you go through, and we've talked about this, once you go through all of the mental gymnastics you have to go through in order to believe something that you know or at least suspect not to be true, it becomes nearly impossible to change your mind. That's just yeah. basic social psychology. You just can't change somebody's mind. You're never going to change somebody's mind with facts. You know? Right. Um, and so, but those are the things that I, you know, you asked, and those are the things I think that you have to do. You have to go to the source of the information, source of the problem. And that is the information that we're yeah. letting into our brains. Yeah. And we got to fix that. And but for, in order to do that, you have to motivate people to want to fix it. And I think therein lies the problem. Yeah. Whatever progress I think I've made on this, on this front. And I think I've made significant progress, at least in the last five years or so. But it began with, there were little seeds when I was in uh, the resistance camp that bothered me. Hearing people, hearing, uh, you know, feminists really attack men, how men are pigs. It just sort of sat there and festered. I didn't make too much of it because I thought, well, whatever, this isn't that big a deal. There are other things that are more important and, uh, and should be worried about. But it sat there as a placeholder. And then sometime around early 2016, I read Hillbilly Elegy uh, by a guy named Vance, which is basically uh, sort of an, I don't know, a study or a memoir about where he grew up, which was rural Kentucky or Tennessee, I forget which, but he was trying to explain why people would uh, vote for Donald Trump, why they would support Donald Trump, even if it's against their own financial interest. What it was about the value system, how they were raised, where they were raised, that would lead them to it. And he wasn't doing it in a mocking way. He was one of these people, right? So he actually put some thought and some empathy into the book. And it really had an effect on me because I grew up in a place that was not dissimilar to that. I understood these people. I understand these people better than I think a lot of liberals do, who, who have no concept of how somebody could think that way and support that guy, right? And, you know, I started to kind of pay attention to how people, I think, were sort of condescending a little bit too much toward that faction of the, the voter block. Mm -hmm. Right. And that started to fester. And then Donald Trump sort sort of he got going and then the election happened. And I saw how, you know, I'm already primed to see it. <laughs> right. And I saw yeah. the reaction to it. And mm -hmm. that shattered me. It was like, holy shit, what have I been doing? Mm -hmm. You know, I started looking back over my past behavior some of which I perpetuated probably today. I apologize for that, but I, I, I've seen it. I, I, you know, I, I could go back and I could see, I, I remember distinctly the decision that I made maybe in 2010, right around the time the Tea Party was, that, that shame can work. You know, shame is the only thing that can affect change. So if you shame people enough, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe the pain will be enough that it'll change their mind. It was a horrific miscalculation. Yeah. Horrific. All that does is, is harden people. Mm -hmm. And create more hatred. It creates division, right? It creates well, tribalism, it, right? It solidifies people to be Their happy, camp. happy being wrong just to spite you. Yeah. And I did. I, I spent years doing that, and 
it was a slow process. And I, I started to see this, okay, okay, I have to get away from this. I see where the left is going. I see how they're radicalizing the same way the Tea Party radicalized the right six, eight years ago, whatever. Okay, I have to leave. I have to figure out a way to detach. I don't know where the hell I'm going. I don't have a compass, but I have to be able to see things as clearly as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I've stumbled and, you know, fallen a few times and all that. But I think I've made some decent progress on that. Well, I think it comes down to, you know, at the time, you know, we all knew that there was something wrong, right? Something is wrong with the system. Right. And we, I don't know that we could necessarily diagnose it, but we saw this group that seemed to be doing something about it. So we kind of hitched our wagon to that group. Yeah. And then after a while, you kind of find out, well, the pendulum has swung a little bit too far at this time. Right. right. And at some point, whatever these people start are fighting about still stops making sense. And then, and then, you know, you have that cognitive dissonance that you have to work through, psychological, you know, um, steps you have to take in your mind to get through it. And then when you come out of the end of it, you realize that, you know, while there may be some ideal, idealistic um, uh, changes that, that, that would be great to come out of that group, but the methods are not making any sense anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it would be nice to, to have income equality across the country. How do you do that? Right. That's what, that's what everybody's always saying. That's what people, people come to me and say, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, yeah, we do need to do that. How are you going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to agree to do that? Sounds great. Somebody's got to pay for it. Right. Right. No matter what that is, Mm -hmm. let's just say it's the $15 minimum wage. Sounds great. Somebody's (laughs) got to pay for that. Yeah. Right. And when you're paying $7 for a, a, a cheeseburger at McDonald's, then let's talk about the $15 an hour wage or, you know, or when you're paying $12 for a gallon of milk, let's talk about government subsidies to, to dairy farmers. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. So, yeah. So there comes a point when, yeah, the utopian idea of what they're fighting for sounds fabulous. How are you going to do it? How are you going to pay for it? How you get to heaven? Yeah. Is there a stairway? Uh, And, and so, and so that's kind of where I came in. And that's where I started to see, like, well, this is kind of doesn't make any more sense to me. Uh, the 99% movement or whatever it was called. What was the name of that movement? What was that? 1% or the 1%ers or something? Occupy. Occupy. That's yeah. it. Uh, that group just stopped making sense to me. Uh, similar to this whole recent um, defund the police movement. Uh, notwithstanding the beginnings or the reasons or where that come from, just focusing on that one issue. That makes zero sense None. to anybody with a quarter of a functioning brain. Now, I've been, you know, I've talked, one of my old original podcasts was talking about the militarized police. Radley Balco had a book came out, I think, in 20, probably 2015, 2014, maybe, uh, talking about exactly that. No knock warrants, how people are getting shot all over the country and everything. And here we have these protests over Breonna Taylor this week. Same thing. No knock warrants. Somebody gets shot. It's a black woman. Oh, my God. We have to defund the police all of a sudden. This is this conversation's been going on for years. I am on your side when it comes to police reform and not just for black people. You know, they're white people being shot by these no-knock warrants. For, they, it's been happening for years. Now, when you start coming out and talking about defunding the Minneapolis Police Department or the Seattle Police Department or the Portland Police Department, you're losing me. Yeah. You're completely lo- it, It's asinine. Who is going to answer your 911 calls? 
they're the really losing. They're losing the you know any rational person. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and you're you're what you're doing. You're giving bulletin board material to Trump's people because now he can take all of these 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 mindless slogans you're chanting. Oh, cops are bastards. Defund the police, and he can pin those on Joe Biden, who doesn't believe any of this shit. But the placards, the memes they yeah. can paste all over social media, <laughs> they're using that to tar and feather him. I, At the same uh, time, there, yeah, there are some, definitely some policy changes that need to be, absolutely. Need to be made. You know, At what point yeah. in police training become, if you pull out your weapon, weapon, empty the clip? You know what I mean? Right. It's just, when did right. that happen? Right. Um, it didn't used to be that way. But right. I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that because I don't know anything about being a cop. I don't either. I've never, I've never been a cop, and I don't want to be because I wouldn't be good at it. I'm just saying something something has changed over the years and something needs to change to kind of get it back under control. Um, but defunding that just, you know, going back to my original concept of, yeah. you know, it's just it's just uninformed dogmatism. It doesn't make any sense. It just becomes empty slogans because right. they need, people need to do they think they need to do something. So they come up with this, but then it doesn't make sense. And they just end up putting off. 95% of the rest of the country or 99% of the rest of the country because the rest of the country is not behind them. They, the rest of the country gets it. They're like, no, you can't defund the police. That makes no fucking sense. <laughs> right. The uh, book by Radley Balco. I think I would love to see him right now. I've never, I haven't seen him on any national news shows and I haven't been watching all that much to be honest with you, but I haven't seen him at all during any of the, these protests over the summer. And that book was called Rise of the Warrior Cop. I think, it, I think it was 2014 that it came out, and he actually attributed the rise of the militarized cop to Nixon's uh, starting the war on drugs and sending these, this military equipment to local police forces. And if you want to have this stuff keep coming in, you better use it. You better show that you need it. Yeah, that's when it started to be getting into tanks. Exactly. Well, this, and it probably ties into what you're talking about with change in tactics. If you're going to dress up like a like a soldier, maybe you ought to act like one. You see, it's just, I, I, when did when did you know you know when did stop the threat become kill the motherfucker? Right. You well, know. <laughs> yeah. Some, well, if you ask Radley Belko, <laughs> sometime in the 1970s and 80s. <laughs> that's when it happened. Yeah, well, that's what he thinks. But you know, it's a really interesting comment. I mean, this the, this this conversation needs to be had, but it doesn't need to be taken to that dogmatic extreme, that radical extreme where, oh my God, all police are bastards. We have to defund them completely. Stop. No. Stop no. that. You're not helping. On a personal level, all of my interactions with police officers have generally been really good, mm -hmm. the exception of one time. There was, uh, but uh, that that was a whole other situation. And, um, and but really, I find them to be generally nice guys who are just trying to do the right thing. My experience hitchhiking around this country has informed me a great deal. <laughs> At least painted my perception of that because I've had multiple more interactions with police officers by hitchhiking and backpacking just out in the middle of nowhere than most people do. And I've run into both kinds. Mm -hmm. And most of the ones that I ran into that were assholes, wanted to just run my ID for no reasons, were, were out east. And, but there have been some fantastic, you know, we, <laughs> I was in uh, Oregon, first year I was out, right after I hopped that, that train, you, you've heard that story a hundred times, and we're in this town called La Grande, uh, me and the guy I hopped the train with, we're sitting there hitchhiking, it's getting dark, State cop pulls over, Oregon state cop. 
And he's like, what you doing? Oh, we're, well, we're hitchhiking. Well, you know, I got to run your ID. I don't want to do it, but I've had contact with it. He manufactured the, the contact, whatever. I knew the game. Gave my ID. <laughs> and he ran it, came back. I wasn't a murderer or a felon or anything. I wasn't wanted yeah. by the Oregon State Police. Uh, but you have a backpack. You're right. That makes you suspicious. <laughs> you're, you're a vagrant, a vagrant, I guess. Anyway, he suddenly became very, very helpful. You know, he's like, okay, well, you're going to need a place to sleep, so why don't you go across the way here, across the exit ramp, in between the exit ramp and the highway, and camp in the, nobody can bother you there, it's it's public property, as long as you're not bothering anybody, nobody's going to say anything. And by the way, if you're still here in the morning, you can walk the interstates here in the fine state of Oregon, you can walk up to the next exit where there's a bigger truck stop. Very helpful. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. He didn't have to act like that, a lot of, quite no. a few cops don't, but I wasn't an asshole to him. It was, it was like, okay, I'm not going to argue about the ID here. I get, I get the game now. Just take it. I don't like it, but whatever. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, fine. There are good cops. There are asshole cops. There are egocentric bullies out there who just mm-hmm. like the power and like to feel like they can control you at will. Yeah. But they're not all cops. No. Not by a long shot. There are plenty of personality disorders out there. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. One other thing I wanted to mention that you were talking about the, 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 the means and the ends. Uh, a little while ago, how the the means have sort of, I think, taken over the ends. That is another uh, tenet that I never got to out of uh, Alul's book. When you, you're sort of far enough along and you've been indoctrinated into one propaganda stream or another, where the militantism, the, the conditioned reflex, the conditioned response that's being hammered into you day in and day out, at some point the means suffocate whatever ends were there once upon a time. There are no ends anymore. It's just activism. Yeah. Activism for the sake of activism. Yeah. uh, Man, you're speaking, you're preaching to the choir there. I've I've seen a lot of that where, uh, you know, it's almost like you you need to justify, continue to justify your existence. Right. Well, well, think about it this way, I guess, follow the money. I don't, I'm just, I'm just talking here. I'm just, you know, just a thought, Yeah. but you know, a lot of these activism organizations become organizations, right. And then they become 501 C3s living off donations. And so it almost seems like the activism is just a way to perpetuate their existence so they can keep asking for money. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Sure. Yeah. Social momentum. I I can, I can name quite a few, um, social movement, you know, type organizations like that, that organize enough to become 501c3 organizations. And then it's a money game. And then it becomes economics. I, I can think of a couple that I'd rather not mention, you know, while the mic yeah, is hot, fine. but that are, that are 501c3s that are, you know, really just kind of function to perpetuate their own existence at this point. It reminds me of that social momentum thing that I was talking about where, you know, you, you, you make certain statements. I've experienced this myself. <laughs> I know this firsthand where you, you, you do things or you, maybe you act a certain way, say certain things, maybe you've attacked certain people rhetorically, and you can't walk it back. You've got to continue yeah, justifying your actions because to walk it back and admit you were wrong and to apologize and to amend your ways, to repent well, your sins is, exactly. is, is painful. Exactly. And, and once it becomes an organization, right. then all of a sudden it has a payroll to meet, and then it just becomes another business. Yeah. We matter. You know? We have to prove we matter. We have we to have, perpetually we, prove we're important. Yep. And in order to do that, we have to continually do these, you know, activism. We have to continually do this, uh, you know, social awareness campaigns. We have to continually do this stuff 
which is their own uh, their own propaganda in order exactly. to uh, in order to you know continue their own existence and then it's back to the money manufacture the outrage via yeah. agitation propaganda fake outrage yeah. fuck yeah. That's a whole other show. Don't want to get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. Not when we're getting this close to wrapping up. Right. Today. Yeah, and it is. It, it, it's not really, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I agree with you that, you know, it's a follow the money thing, but I think it's a, it's a follow the influence thing. Follow the the need to feel or appear as though you are relevant to a, a uh, crisis. It's to a constituent. Exactly. To the people who you think you're going to get money from. Or right? support. I, I'm not necessarily, I guess, my, I guess my point of contention there is I, I think you're right that, yeah, donations and all that count, but it's not just that. I think that you have to, you, you have this network of Manchurian propagandists <laughs> who right. are perpetuating the message to their own followers. No, so you're you, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. You've got to sort of maintain it to them. But this was edgy today, man. Good. Started out a little slow. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I've been bottled up. Well, there's a lot to be bottled up about. Yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of people that are basically suppressing their own rage about what's going on. Yeah. In all in all different forms, whether whatever, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, everybody's mad right now. Yeah. And we're mad at each other <clears throat> for whatever reason. And you know, generally, you know, as a nation, we're all just mad at each other. And <clears throat> I've got neighbors across the street uh, who have uh, Trump signs in their yards. Um, I've got neighbors down the street who have Biden signs in their yards and, um, you know, everybody's just mad about it. And so I I don't know what the answer to that is. I guess I'm just commenting. I'm just talking at this point. But I wish I really wish we weren't so mad at each other as a country. I I told Chris last night at the end of this email that it's not a matter of policy. Like he asked me, he's an AOC supporter. Which is fine. But he asked me, which of her specific policies do you disagree with? And I'm like, fuck her policies. Her policies don't matter. They, they don't matter at all. There's no point in going down the policy minutia rabbit hole because we are so divided. We are so ripped in two that even if she became suddenly important or more important than she is, all of these policy ideas are essentially wet dreams that you're never going to be able to get a consensus enough to get these passed. Nothing she's, is going to happen. I'm, well, that's, yeah, and I and I I'm agreeing with you 100 percent with her when I was talking earlier about you know how you're going to pay for it. You right. know, our ideas are good. They're good. They're good for you know I think the long term survival of humanity and you know the green movement and all that kind of stuff. It's nice, but how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, how do you get there? How do you get you there do- by alienating half the country with the the, the social movement rhetoric or bankrupting? Well, right, already, right, exactly. We're already bankrupt, but I mean, you know, without right. just going that much further in debt and to yeah. China, and you know, <laughs> right. And, and so it really comes down to the logistics of it. It's like you know, those are great ideas, and we all want to live in a utopian society where everything is, you know, powered by the sun, and we're all happy, and you know, yeah. Logan's Run kind of shit. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, how are you going to get there? How are you going right. to pay for it? Right. Come on. But even if, I, I would I would counter that by saying that even if you had the ledger balanced on how you're going to get there, that with this divisiveness, with this bilateral, extremist, mutually exclusive hatred that's ripping the country in two, how would you right. even manage to get enough of a consensus to get it passed? And I would I would venture that to to compare the the level of discontent that that she's sowing. To this, I, and I would compare that to the level of discontent that the President Trump is sowing. I think, yeah. I think she's just the opposite spectrum than than the conservative side, than the than the McConnells and the Trumps and that that, that world. 
Um, I just I just think that you know they've all taken their corners and they've all yeah. decided the the louder I can yell and even if I don't make any sense, you know I'm going to get the attention and so that just naturally brings me to uh, term limits, right? Because right. The, when it becomes right. when it, because really their their purpose for existence is to be reelected. Yeah. I don't think it has anything much much of anything to do. There might be a few. I can't say all 535 or whatever members of Congress are completely all about just getting reelected. I think there are some of them that probably genuinely care about their constituents. Um, but in the end, when a majority of them are really just there to get reelected, mm-hmm. they're not they're not there for us. Yeah. And and so what they're saying is all about their base and about getting reelected. It has nothing to do with affecting actual change. And maybe therein lies the problem with democracy. Factions. That's what they talked about a few hundred years ago. Factionalism. Well, I mean, we divided into factions right away with a party system as soon as we became a country, right? I think the parties were a little bit different. I think back then, didn't we have three, at least three that were reasonable? Yeah, they morphed over time, but they were talking about factionalism, not not necessarily just factionalism, but the factionalism that gets to the point where we become adversarial. And well, yeah, we are. Yeah, but we have gotten there. We have officially gotten there. I said the same thing about AOC. Your your take on her as being the flip side of Trump. I said the exact same. That's exactly part of the reply that I had back to him. I see her as I've called it the Green Tea Party before. You know, we yeah. saw what happened with the Tea Party in 2009, 2010, whenever it was, and how the Republican Party changed in response to that. I predicted before the election that if Trump won, this was going to happen to the left. And it has. And it's been yeah. naked, naked, dancing on stage, swinging its big phallus in front of us for mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he get, if he gets reelected, where is that going to be in another four years? And if they... On that happy note, yeah, <laughs> we're 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 at a we're at a precipice. I think yeah. is where where we're trying to say we are we are, and I think decisions matter right now. Decisions matter, you know, and um, um, it's 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 yeah. I don't I can't remember the quote, but the one that's coming to my mind is I sort of I have looked into the abyss and that's Nietzsche. Yeah, the, yeah, and it sucks basically. I yeah, think well, be careful looking into the abyss because the abyss looks into you. It's one of my favorite yeah. quotes from him. Yeah. I, I I have a completely different take on it, but we are peering into the abyss, and maybe that you know maybe that's a really good way to look at it because if you're truly looking into the abyss, this is beautiful, Brian. You nailed this because if you're looking into the abyss, the Nietzsche quote. How do you say that, Nietzsche or Nietzsche? Nietzsche. It, it depends. It's, okay. it's I've always been told Nietzsche. Yeah, Nietzsche. That's I how I some, pronounce it. That's yeah, that's the official Nietzsche. It's the official pronunciation of the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast is Nietzsche. Anyway, the quote is, be careful looking into the abyss. I'm paraphrasing because the abyss looks back. All right. So if we're looking into this abyss, if we're looking into this contemporary domestic abyss, if we're really looking into it, it has to look back at us. Mm-hmm. We have to start looking within ourselves because at the core, I truly believe this. There may be you know people exploiting or whatever. At the core, it's us. It is. And we've got to explore that. If there's any hope at all, we have to explore yeah. that. You must explore that. But but finding people who are willing to go that deeply into themselves is is pretty rare. Yeah. You know. And then once you get a little bit too far, once you touch the third rail, whatever everybody's <sighs> got their own once everybody's got their own third rail, whatever that is. Once you touch that, which is the thing that needs to be touched. They back the fuck off. Oh yeah, I I, I know that as an experienced psychotherapist. I've experienced. I realize it. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, once you know there, you can you can you can have so much productivity in the process. You can learn a lot, but when you touch that third rail, whatever that is for that individual. Mm-hmm. that patient will stop coming to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And you will stop. Yeah. I, I, and, that's, I, and that's the thing that needs to be touched. Right? It desperately needs, it needs to be stroked <laughs> erotically. I think yeah, I, I yeah. can't, I, I, when I, when I, when I first happened to me in uh, 2011 and we, this would be a fun, just nice little philosophical conversation maybe for another time, but okay. that, that happened to me in 2011 and I, I wrote it up as best I could at the time. And I, I named the post the abyss. Because I started looking at everything. I started to try to pursue this external truth, right? <laughs> and I didn't like it. It was like, okay, well, it's looking back at me. It's like, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing, Todd? You're talking about all these other people. What are you doing, fucker? Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. This self-image that I have, it's a little flawed. I don't like this <laughs> at all. And yeah. it, it came back. It's like, you know that old phrase, the truth will set you free? That's really bullshit. No, 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 no. no. It does. It <laughs> does. Depend, depending on your own, depending on, depending on your truth, but it does. Depending on your interpretation of what truth is. Yeah. If you think truth is all fuzzy and happy. Maybe. I, think, I think we're talking about the same thing. When you yeah. talk about the truth will set you free, I think we're talking about that whole idea of looking inward and learning your own truth. And then that, then that, that sets you free. Yeah. I think it's the expectation of what you're going to find when that truth finally appears that you think it's going to be all this, oh, yes, I'm enlightened now. No, 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 no. That's that's generally not what happens. <laughs> Didn't happen with me. I know that for a fact. But yeah. knowing that information, you know, having that level of understanding of yourself does improve a lot of the areas of your life. But it's painful to get there. It's extremely painful yeah. to get there, of course. I wish somebody would have told me. Why didn't you tell me this? It's uh, sure. it's your it's you know it's the it's the shadow part of yourself that, that you've tucked away and hidden that uh, nobody talks about that you don't talk about, and um and and you have to deal with it you have to come front it yeah whether whether you like it or not is irrelevant yeah but you have to know it right I've got this arrogance rebuttal you've read part of it I think no you didn't I didn't send it to you with that other piece but uh I've been called arrogant. <laughs> perpetually for the last 10 years. I can't imagine why. <laughs> what the fuck? What the hell's wrong with you people? <laughs> anyway. Uh, Part of your shadow self, is it? Is that- <laughs> One of the things that I was terribly arrogant and naive about was when I started this, and I, I had this image in my head, like, okay, well, the truth is going to just, it's going to empower me, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be able to see things, and I'm going to love it. I, I was so ignorant, so arrogant that I could, I could uh, even, I, I wish someone had warned me, and that's all I'm saying. Yeah, we could have. Yeah, we should have had this conversation. Two thousand eight. I think. I think. But I, you know, I just, you know, having having worked in that business for a long, I think it's really important for people to learn as much about themselves as they can, the good, the bad, the ugly, and they don't have to like it, but they right. need to embrace it. In retrospect, I think about this. I don't think the lesson that I got, and, and maybe the insights or the the perception or perspective that I got going through that process and suffering for it, I don't yeah. think that would have been nearly as valuable to me had somebody warned me. Yeah. I may have gotta, actually deflected it. it. Yeah. 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 You yeah. probably would have. You, you got to go through it. You got to live through it. Once you decide you're going to do this is a show of its own. But once, once you decide to go through that process, you really got to go through it Yeah. Uh, on your own. And there's, there's, a, there's plenty of uh, allegory of this in literature, people going through um, various ceremonial self experiences of some sort or another. It's really just getting in touch with your shadow self. Yeah. Or your spirit guide, or whatever, you know, whatever that is. <laughs> your spirit you know? cat. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah it's all, it's all it's all there and it's it's all there for the taking the, the the hard part is is opening yourself up to the willingness to experience it that's hard it really some is. people do it with mushrooms you know they find they find a way to do it with mushrooms oh mushrooms are awesome I hit those up in uh, 2015 for the first time. I was a blubbering fool. Yeah, and I was bawling, well, how, what crying. Was, how was your, yes. Oh, you had a good experience then. Yeah, I did, and it, it was actually it was really cool because I expected to like feel like I was one with the universe, and we're all one organism. That did not happen. It went no. the other way. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Yeah. But it also the, you, you talk about we talked about that external source of validation. You know, a, couple, yeah. a few weeks, maybe it was the first show that we did together. And that was the first time I actually felt that. Yeah, those are, was, those are, those can be misconstrued as bad trips. But uh, no. when you come through them, you, you've, you've got a level of understanding of yourself that you will never get any yeah. other way. Yeah. And I, I was smart enough because I had my phone to like take notes while I was in it. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah, those things are gold. <laughs> I love, oh, I gotta, oh, I'd love to read those sometime. Yeah, that'd, yeah. That'd be, some, that'd be good. But, yeah. That'd be good reading for a, for a therapist. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, <laughs> probably would. I got a lot of things you'd like to read. I've got journals full of that shit. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll leave them to you in my will. Okay. <laughs> but, no, it was, uh, it was really cool because it was uh, it, one of those things, and, and I think it was, this happened at 15, and I started to separate from the resistance about a year later. And I think it was one of those first things, those first moments where I felt like I could actually stand, at least try to stand detached without having to have the support of someone else propping me up. You know, that's what I was talking about, the, the external validation or the internal yeah. validation thing, being able to prop myself up without having this. It was very rudimentary, very early. It took a lot of a lot more work. I'm still working on that. But that so, was where so, I got it from. So you were you're you're kind of saying that some of those movements that you got involved in, or the or at least the ideology of it, you were using as a way to prop yourself up as a crutch to kind of give yourself a uh, some sort of validation for your, your sort of your own existence, sense of purpose. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not a. It's not an original idea. <laughs> a lot and of people nothing, do and that. There's no, inherently, there's nothing inherently wrong with that wanting to have a sense of belonging with an organization that you share values with. It's when it becomes pathological, right, and dogmatic. That's when it becomes unhealthy. And I think that's the world we're living in right now. Everything, there's no gray area, is there? No, no. Everything is, everything is black and white. When that belonging to a group becomes, or a belief becomes, or a part yeah. of the belief system becomes what Joan Didion called a moral imperative. Yeah. That's when that you, yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually... I'm going to make a point of posting this entire essay on my website this week because it's so good. Fucking gold. But when it becomes a moral imperative, instead of something you want or think should happen, then you have entered the realm of the madmen. You've become, you've entered the field of the fanatic. That's when it starts to turn into coercion and forcing people to do things because you have that sense of, that sense of intense self-righteousness. Well, that really does sum everything up. I'm glad you didn't mention that until now, because if you'd mentioned this in the first five minutes of the podcast, we'd have been done. <laughs> what do you mean? Because that, really, that really does sum up everything we've been talking about, right? Yeah. When, when you talk about the tribalism and the, the information, the way we're getting information, how we're losing information, how we come to decisions, yeah. <clears throat> it really does come down to that moral imperative, doesn't it? It does. And that's fanaticism. And it becomes fanaticism. Right. When, once, once that happens, then that's that's when real damage. That's when we start really doing damage to each other, right. and I, each other. Right. I, I've you know sort of construed or created this test for myself. I haven't quite sussed it all out yet. It's not complete, but following the word should, 
that you should do this because I believe you should do this, that I believe this is how everybody should be behaving, so you should be doing this, following the word should. Works for me, so then it'll work for everybody. Right. It makes me feel great. And the, yeah. the, the other question is is asking yourself, in, don't answer me, don't, don't answer to anyone else but yourself, but is what you're feeling morality or self-righteousness? Mm. And making, that, takes, that takes introspection. <sighs> doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All of this you know, does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Critical thinking and, and critical thinking about yourself. Right? Be, being willing Boom. to be wrong. Boom. Being willing to be vulnerable in the name yeah. of trying to at least attempt to be right. right. Vulnerability is another show we could do. I could do a whole. We could do a lot of these. Whole, we could do a whole show on vulnerability. These shows are deep. They are. I hope your I hope your audience digs them because I, I think there are times. I got to be honest. I'll be vulnerable now. <laughs> there are times, even you know, especially a few times today when I know I was talking about something, and in the middle of talking about it, all of a sudden I was like, "What am I talking about?" <laughs> I'm talking, you know, you start sort yeah. of painting yourself into a corner that you can't yeah. get out of, but at least we're thinking. Right. right. Yeah. At least, at least we're having the conversation, which, which well, I think is a healthy thing. And maybe, and maybe your audience is coming along with that conversation. I was going to offer a suggestion for you that might work. I don't know, you haven't deactivated your profile. You just haven't logged on. Maybe go create another one yeah. with no friends, a fake name, so nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Rejoin that group. Because someone said last week, Adam, this, this buddy of mine, uh, my girlfriend's cousin who lives down in Georgia, commented on exactly that. It's how uh, sometimes the conversations we have begin with a sort of a vague, fuzzy point, And through yeah. the process of conversation, it becomes more crystallized and more clear. Yeah. And he, yeah. he, he commented unsolicited on that and how it sort of mimics or he thinks it might mimic organic thought. People actually having, experiencing cognition. And thinking about something rather than just reacting and, and regurgitating information. Well, Adam's my hero then because that's that's really the entire reason for me participating in this podcast because of yeah. our conversations yeah. that we, we used to have leaning, you know, on the counter in the kitchen all the time. And it's, you know, and you just came up with the idea, well, let's just record this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? And, yeah. Um, and so... That, yeah, it is. And, and, and I don't, when I come on your show, I don't profess to have the answers to these things. I have some knowledge about human behavior, some knowledge about politics and things like that. But I think it's our conversational, it's the process of, of, of conversation, sometimes friendly, sometimes contentious, but it's all conversation that eventually right. kind of gets to some level of at least a better level of understanding, not fully understanding, but at least the next step. And then maybe yeah. the, you know, next, next week we come to another level, but I, I do appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the, the listeners that you have kind of coming along with on that journey. It's interesting. And it's, 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 it's an incredibly vulnerable experience to just lay your mind out on a <laughs> podcast. It really is. <laughs> I, I, I've come to, I, I didn't really like the, the art form. Uh, originally because it, it reminds me of voice tracking in the old studios, you know, where you uh, sit down. Just, and, yeah, and I've just heard so many shitty podcasts. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to I'm gonna send you a YouTube video I cut in 2014 talking. And nobody else can see it. It's just, I, I, it's up on YouTube, but it, nobody can see it because it's it's horrific. <laughs> it's it's horrific, but I'm, I rip these podcasters and ask. <laughs> They're just so bad. Terrible. Lay the roots. Lay the roots for upcoming things, right? Yeah, when, when I was first invited to do this over on the network, that was the thing, because I, I had these images. I'd heard some podcasts. I thought, oh, this might be kind of cool. And I'm like, oh, my God, you suck. You know, what are you talking about? Go away. But I didn't want to be associated with it. 
And but there are some really good ones out there too. So hopefully this is evolving toward one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I like it. All right, buddy. Let's wrap this up. Okay. All right, this episode was recorded on Sunday, September the 27th of 2020. Hope you enjoyed it. There is one thing that I wanted to add to the back end of this, though, and it's something that we talked about when I brought up, once again, Joan Didion's On Morality. Chris sent me a link. He went and found it. <laughs> it surprised me with it. He shot me a link. He found this text in its entirety. I will have that on my website this week. Anyway, what we were talking about on morality is what happens when your wants or what you think should happen or what you'd like to see when that transitions into something of a moral imperative, what you consider essential. Morally, it has to happen. That is textbook self-righteousness. That should create a conflict. It should create a question in your mind. Is this my morality or is this fundamental base self-righteousness where I have put myself up on a pedestal and that these expectations, commands, demands are coming from a more narcissistic place. I'm bringing this up again because self-righteousness is one of the tenets that the propaganda campaign, that the propagandist wants to inseminate the proselytes and militants with This sense that they are on the side of God in a battle against evil. I outlined all of this last year, I think maybe in July, early August of last year, in an episode, it was number 40, in the show list called uh, Righteousness and Simplicity. I have to go back and listen to it. I haven't listened to it again in a long time, but I'm going to go check it out and make sure it's what I (laughs) seem to think I remember it being. If it is, I'm going to cut the current events crap off the front and I'm going to repost it because it ties in so perfectly to this material, to this sense of, Brian nailed it. When we're talking about, he says, this is everything. This is exactly what's happening. It's a good thing you put this at the end because if you put it at the beginning, it explains everything that's going on. Yes, these mutually exclusive extremist camps are full of this self-righteousness, this sense that everything that they stand for, all of their ideological beliefs, their doctrine, their scripture, is a moral imperative. And when it becomes a moral imperative, coercion is not far behind. Totalitarianism, authoritarianism, pick a word. It doesn't matter. It's exactly what we're talking about and it is a fundamental a fundamental aspect of a propaganda campaign they want their missionaries engorged with the word of god they want their proselytes and militants taking to the streets preaching the good word because they know that they have found the key the pathway the stairway to heaven and they must save as many barbarians, as many savages as they can, or to quote the line from Heart of Darkness again, exterminate the brutes. This has been repeated over and over and over again throughout human history. It might be something that is just in our DNA that we have to. We have to break off, to splinter off into these groups and fight for supremacy. I don't know. 
I'm inclined to believe so. Look for that podcast. Look for that essay on the website, escapingthecave.com. It'll be called On Morality. And as you're reading it, keep top of mind. When she says, I suspect we're already there, I think we're already there, whatever the very last line of the essay is, it was written, I think, in 1965. Where are we now? Oof. I will get to posting the rest of those propaganda episodes soon enough. i to figure out how to do it, how to time it <laughs> with these other episodes. Brian, we'll figure this out. Be looking for those. Be looking for that one in, in particular, though, because it does. It ties really well into the material for uh, from today. Thanks again to Brian for clicking in, joining us, clicking in. I clicked him in. Thanks, Brian, for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for clicking in. That's what I was going to say. EscapingTheCave.com is the website. Check out the Facebook page slash group if you would like to. And we will talk to you very, 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 very soon. Appreciate the patronage. Till next time, so long. Mm-hmm.